a cheer for these guys. That was amazing. Bunch of teenagers. Well, good morning. Welcome to Faith. You guys look great today. Men, you look great. Dad, you look great. Gus, you look sharp over there. All right, so before we get started, I do have a joke. It's not a Father's Day joke, but it's a, it's a dad joke. And what I mean by that is my goal in my jokes is to have my kids and wife groan and roll their eyes. So it's one of those kind of jokes, all right? So this is for you, fathers. So many to choose from. Why did the invisible man turn down the job offer? He just couldn't see himself doing that job. That's it. Dog, yeah, I heard some groans. Mission accomplished. All right, perfect. My name's Ben. I'm one of the pastors here at Faith. Uh, Honored to be up here. This is my Father's Day gift, is being up here in front of you guys today. Uh, We have a new thing, and that is whichever pastor is up here is going to carry on wherever the last pastor left off. So we're still going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, and we're going to go all the way to chapter 2, verse 4. So a big section. Uh, we're going to go through that. We're going to learn some stuff about Paul, my favorite apostle, my favorite character in the New Testament, amazing guy. Uh, so let me ask you first, if you've ever been attacked and you didn't deserve it, raise your hand. I should see lots of hands going up. Because if your hand's not up, you've never been attacked, right? Okay, go ahead and put your hands down. If you've ever changed your travel plans for any reason, raise your hand. Get them up. Let me see them. Ever change your plans? Awesome. All right. You guys are going to be able to relate to what's going on with Paul. I'm very excited about that. You'll be able to make a direct correlation to your life, to Paul's life, which is fantastic. Um, uh, as you know, Paul is under fire. That's where we're at in uh, today's verses and passages. So when I think of Corinthians, I think of a man named Sandoval. And you guys don't know Sandoval, but a long time ago, different life, many, many years ago, I was in the military. I was in a very small unit. We had 10 guys. Sometimes we had 11. Rarely we had 12 men. And uh, one day, Sandoval showed up. Had a reputation. He was new. Therefore, we didn't like him because in the military, you don't like new guys, right? Uh, he wasn't fit. He wasn't fast. He wasn't particularly motivated. In the military, those are pretty important traits, so we made his life a living heck, right? We insulted him, we questioned him, we challenged him, we made fun of him. Anything we could do to make him miserable, we did. And then one day we went to the range. And the range is where you shoot things and blow stuff up. And Sandoval got behind a new weapon system we were trying, and it was called M82. It's a 50 caliber rifle. It's big, 30 pounds, huge. And from around 12 to 1,500 meters, if you're a shooter, your eyes should be popping out of your head. This kid did not miss. So he was golden to us because we could go anywhere, anytime, and do anything. And all we had to do was put Sandoval up on a hill somewhere, and we were set. To give you perspective, that's like climbing up on the roof of this church and putting a bullet in a box of ice cream at Gifford's. Over and over and over. And if that seems outlandish and crazy, the record now is much further than that. So we love Sandoval, but he did not fit the mold. He did not fit the mold. And that's where we find Paul today in Corinthians. This is what Pastor Brent's been telling us about for the last few weeks 
Uh, Paul's been questioned. He's been challenged. He's been insulted. They're writing him letters to, uh, to make him feel rotten and terrible. Every move he is making is being scrutinized. And these false apostles and these false teachers and this enemy contingent, these tools of Satan, know that if they can attack Paul, if they can break down Paul, if they can uh, cast doubt upon his integrity, they can cast doubt upon his message, which is Christ. That's the big picture. That's what they're trying to do by attacking Paul. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. You've already uh, mentioned that you've been attacked before. Maybe you did a good deed and you got blasted. Maybe you uh, help someone out and they drop the hammer on you. Howie Carr, the talk show host from Boston, says, no good deed goes unpunished. That's one of my new axioms. It's kind of negative, I know, but you guys get get where I'm going with this, right? And here's Paul, this great apostle, this great disciple, this amazing man, getting attacked by the same church. He spent 18 months building up and encouraging and presenting the gospel and loving and encouraging. The moment he leaves, they start to change. You guys remember PB says, when the cat's away, the the mice will play. Not only do they change, they begin to rebel, and then they start to openly attack Paul. Again, that's what Brent's been talking to us about. Shocking, isn't it, that they would attack Paul? Isn't it shocking that they would go after this man? I set you up there if you're nodding. It shouldn't be. Did not Jesus say that this would happen? Did he not warn us? And Matthew, Jesus says, you will be hated by all because of my name. Not just the bad people. Not just the Jewish people. Not just atheists. All. Your family, your friends, people in church. Everybody. And Paul knew this. If you think about Paul 2,000 years ago, who was a bigger target for Satan? Who would have been a bigger target? Who would have been a, a bigger person to take down, to destroy for Satan than Paul? No one. So in Philippians, Paul says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Paul's not shocked. He's hurt. He's frustrated that he has to stop his ministry to put this fire out. He's willing to do it. He loves them. But he's not shocked. So let's go to Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, and take a look at Paul's response. Remember, they are attacking Paul's integrity. It doesn't get much more personal than that. It doesn't get much more insulting than that. Paul begins in verse 12, and he's going to use the pronoun we, that's him and his helpers, Timothy and Sylvanus and whoever's with him. We can say with confidence and a clear conscience that we have lived a God-given holiness and sincerity in all of our dealings. We have depended on God's grace, not on our own human wisdom. That is how we have conducted ourselves before the world and especially toward you. Our letters have been straightforward, and there is nothing written between the lines and nothing you can't understand. I hope someday you will fully understand us, even if you don't understand us now. Then on the day when the Lord Jesus returns, you will be proud of us in the same way that we are proud of you. Paul's saying, we have conducted ourselves both in our actions and in the letters that we've sent to you in a godly manner. We have been sincere. We've been open. 
And the word Paul uses for sincere means judged in the light of the sun. Is that not clear? Can you make it any more clear? Can you think back then when you buy a water jug, it's made out of pottery, you hold it up to the sun to make sure it doesn't have cracks because if it has a crack, it doesn't work. When I drop my cell phone that costs way too much money, I hold it up and look for cracks because I know if there's a crack, I'm going to get in trouble and then it's going to cost $250 to fix. Paul's saying everything we have done can be scrutinized to show that we've been truthful and honest and godly. He's reminding them. We came to you. We lived among you. We preached the gospel to you. You were saved because of the gospel. We encouraged you. We never lied to you. You sent us out to preach that same gospel. At what point did we go wrong? And more to the point, if we're wrong, What does that say about you? You come from us. Our conscience is clear. That's what Paul's saying. Our conscience is clear. Paul relies on his conscience. He talks about it all the time. In 1 Timothy, he says, But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And in 2 Timothy, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did. And even Luke talks about it in Acts chapter 23. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Paul knows that our conscience holds us to a higher standard, a godly standard, God's standard. Conscience affirms when we do good things, when we do godly things, things that would please God. And conscience condemns when we do bad things, when we do evil things, when we do sinful things. Did you know there was a conscience fund in the government? The Treasury Department uses it for people who have ripped off the government or who have defrauded the government, and you can give money back. And they don't arrest you. They don't get you in trouble. Interesting. There's not a lot of money in it, (laughs) typically. John MacArthur refers to the conscience as the soul's warning system. It's designed to let us know when we're doing something wrong, something bad, something that's going to destroy our soul, something that's going to kill one of our good relationships or certainly that's going to ruin our relationship with God. But our conscience is not all-powerful. It's not omnipotent. We can override it. We can overrule it. We can ignore it. We do that sometimes. In 1977, flight 011 was approaching Madrid. This was a flight that had taken place thousands of times. Relatively new airplane, experienced pilot, had made this same approach 20 or 30 times. And he put the flaps open, he put the wheels down, and the plane smashed into the ground. 181 people were killed. And the investigators determined human error as the cause. And when they looked at the black box, there was a warning in the cockpit. Terrain, pull up, pull up, pull up. 
It's not quiet. It's really like, pull up, pull up, pull up. You can't ignore it. But the pilot reached up, turned it off, and in the next instant, he and 180 people were dead. We ignore warnings all the time, do we not? We ignore the direction our life is headed. We all know someone who is ignoring the direction their life is going. We can ignore our conscience, but the the results are never a good thing. So Paul endured the things he went through in large part because his conscience was clear. That's his first lesson to the Corinthians today. That's his first point. And consequently, if you want to enjoy that type of conscience, you can study conscience in Scripture. You can meditate on those verses. You can look them up, spend some time there, and be watchful of everything you do and everything you say. In Matthew 26, Jesus says, Keep watch and pray so that you do not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Watch everything you say and everything you do and everything you think. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, We destroy arguments and every lofty argument raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Hold every thought, every word, every action before you let it go. I like to envision a bird in my hand. Is there a bird behind me? Is he not the cutest bird in the world? Happy Father's Day. I like to envision that bird when I think something, when I'm about to say something, when I'm going to do something, because as soon as I let that bird go, it's gone. Can't get it back. Those things are in your sermon notes, if you want to study those, by the way. It's been said some people follow their conscience like they follow a lawnmower. They direct it where they want it to go, and then they follow it. That's a terrible way of dealing with your conscience. It's a bad idea. After Paul expresses his clear conscience, he begins a rather long narrative about a change of travel plans. And what happens is he makes plans, he modifies the plans, and then he doesn't show up. And his enemies at Corinth decide this was such an egregious sin, such a rotten and terrible thing. They say, in essence, Paul can't even make up his mind about travel plans. Can we really trust him with the big things? And, of course, what's happening here is the same thing that was happening before. If they can tear down Paul, they can tear down his message. Right? That's what they're trying to do. What's Paul's message? Jesus, the gospel. That's what Paul preached. Christ as Savior, Christ as the way, Christ as the only way for anyone and everyone. Paul went from town to town, and the message was the same. He said, we were all sinners. We were all dead to sin. None of us are good enough. None of us are smart enough. And while we were sinners, God sent his son. And when his son was 33 years old, he took on all of our sins and he died on a cross for us. And he was buried and he was dead. And everyone knows he was dead. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. He overcame death. He overcame sin. 
Everybody knows this. We all saw it. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people saw this. There's no doubt. And he's the only way. That's Paul's message. Amen? That's the message. That's in your uh, sermon notes as well. That's called the Roman road. Well, some of, we call it the Roman road sometimes. Is there a road up here? All right. All right. That's the Roman road. One day I'm going to have a picture with me standing right there instead of that one. I thought I would have a little bit of fun for you fathers. That might as well be the road in front of my house. We're like in a forgotten realm that no one comes to. And Paul continues, Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. I was, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? So Paul planned a visit once. Then he added a visit. He said, I'm going to come see them twice because I love them so much and they need me. And then he ended up not visiting. And his detractors saw this as arbitrary and capricious, unnecessary, and they said, look, how easily he changes his plans. He's so worldly. He, look at him. Watch him waffle. Paul can't make up his mind. We cannot trust him. Now, interestingly, Paul uses the word vacillate, and it means double stance. Kind of like speaking out of both sides of your mouth. And we think that in the letter that we don't have, that they wrote to him, they charged him with vacillating, and that's why he uses this specific word. And he says, I was going to see you. I was going to visit you. I added a visit. I couldn't make it. That's not vacillating. That's not what that means. I added more because I love you guys so much. Next verse. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you does not waver between yes and no. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you. And as God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. Paul is so distressed about these charges. He wants Corinth to know, to be assured that he's being honest, and he invokes God's faithfulness to prove that point. As God is faithful, so our words to you are faithful. Our word was faithful when Timothy and Silas and I preached the gospel to you. It was, it was faithful when we lived among you. It was faithful when you accepted Christ. It was faithful when we encouraged you and built you up. It was faithful when we departed and you sent us out with that same message. That hasn't changed. Our testimony about Christ has not changed. We weren't inconsistent about him. We weren't indecisive about him. We did not vacillate 
about him. Everything finds its fulfillment in Christ. That was our message then. That's our message today. Your amen, your yes was an affirmation of Christ. Your yes was an affirmation of our message to you. It was an affirmation of us. We were consistent in all of that. Do you really think we would be inconsistent in this tiny matter? Paul's saying, look, you had confidence in us in the big things. Have confidence in these small things. Verse 21. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Now Paul's talking about saving grace that comes from God. He's pointing out the link that he and the Corinthians have. And that link was that they are fellow members of the body of Christ. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. They are unified in Christ. They are all anointed by God. They are all anointed to serve Christ. They are all commissioned for his service. All of them together. And God sealed them all and he marked them all and he made them special and he set them apart. He sealed them together. You've probably seen an old wax seal. That's Napoleon's. That's why it's so small. Whenever there was a seal, uh, that usually meant authority, power. It was real. It was from a real person. It was something important. And if someone had a seal, uh, for example, from, say, Caesar, you knew not to mess with that person, right? You knew that it came from an important place and that if you hindered that person, you would probably end up what? Dead, right? Dead. So God established them all and he anointed them all and he sealed them all. And he gave them the spirit, all of them. And as their spiritual father for the Corinthians to attack him and deny him, they were destroying that unity in Christ. They were going against the very Spirit of God who united them, the Spirit who established them and sealed them and anointed them. And today, when we attack and devour each other, we do the same thing. We destroy that unity we have in Christ. Always a lose-lose. Verse 23, but I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of you all, that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. So finally, at the end of today's passage, Paul explains why he did not come. And he does it first by solemnly calling God as his witness. Paul would not do that lightly. Those of you who are seasoned 
Christians know that it's never a wise thing to call God as your witness and then to lie. Mm -hmm. It's a bad idea in general. And Paul knows that. And he's saying, look, if I'm lying, let God deal with me. Let God judge me. Let God convict me. And if need be, let God punish me. And he says, I postponed my visit to spare you pain. I'm not here to have dominion over you. I'm not your king. I'm not your czar. I'm not your overlord or your CEO. We are all in this together. We are all workers together for Christ. And I don't want to spend all of my time with a heavy heart toward you. I don't want you to be sad and hurt. And I don't want to be sad and hurt. So I changed my travel plans because I wanted you to have time to see the truth. And I wanted you to have time to repent and turn from what you are doing. And I want you to be joyful again before we meet. Doesn't sound too outlandish, does it? Who wants to go meet someone if they're mad at you, if you're fighting? Your happiness is my happiness. Your sadness is my sadness. Your success is my success. Our success is your success. I wrote to you in anguish because our relationship was broken. I wrote to you with my spirit crushed with many tears. I was afflicted. And Paul was hoping that his love would lead them to repentance and ultimately to restore the relationship back to where it was. So Paul responds with love. And we stop there. And that's where Brent will pick up next week. Pastor Brent, sorry. So today, when we look at Paul, we love him. He's awesome. He's amazing. He's clearly blessed by God. He wrote so much of the New Testament. He's incredible. But 2,000 years ago at Corinth, they weren't on the same page. He was fickle. He was a liar. He vacillated. He waffled. He could not be trusted. It's mind-boggling. We love him. We honored him. They wanted to destroy him. And as strong as Paul was in his faith and as smart as Paul was with his training and as well-traveled as Paul was, do you not think he could have uh, destroyed them in this argument? Could he not have gone nuclear on them? He could have scorched the earth. But Paul approached this confrontation with love and patience and charity and kindness. He didn't feel the need to win the argument. If that sounds familiar, that's what Pastor Brent challenged us, I think, three weeks ago to do. Find a situation where we don't have to win the argument. So they intact his integrity, and he responded with integrity. He demonstrated integrity. And Paul used to say, imitate me like I imitate Christ. That's what he did. He put their needs before his. He responded with love and charity. And we would do well to get that lesson. There was a great ship captain in the ocean at night, rough seas. 
And his crew said, hey, there's a light. If you've ever been on a ship at night, you see a light, you need to find out what it is so you don't collide with it, right? So he said, send this message. Turn 20 degrees north. There was an order. And the reply was, please turn 20 degrees south. What? This made him mad because no one challenges the captain. And he said, send this message. Turn 20 degrees north immediately. I am the captain. And the reply was, please turn 20 degrees south. I'm Petty Officer Third Class Jones. And this, the pilot, uh, the captain flew into a rage. No one dared talk to him that way. So he sent a final message that said, I demand you turn 20 degrees north now. I am a battleship. The implication is, I will destroy you. And the reply was, please turn 20 degrees south. I am a lighthouse. The lighthouse is Paul in this story. Paul is on the rock. Paul is standing on a rock. His conscience is clear. He knows what he's talking about. And Corinth is that loud, tough battleship that's on the attack. And what's it about to do? It's going to crash into the rocks. Battleships are awesome. They're not so good on the rocks. And Paul is responding with love. He's not ordering them. He's saying, please turn course. Turn, repent, turn away from the way you're going, or you're going to destroy yourselves on the rocks. And and Paul's lesson is this is how you respond in love to the noise and the static and the attacks and the stress and the complaints and the issues, all the problems of our lives, respond with love. Amen? Amen. Will you please stand? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for... Example after example after example of how to live our lives, how to respond in love, how to follow your disciples who followed Christ. Thank you for sending your son to us. Thank you for sending your son here when we were still sinners and didn't deserve it to be our savior, to take on our sins. Lord, I pray if anyone here has not responded to that message, is not calling on you as Savior, that they will take the time today to acknowledge you as as Savior, to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Savior, to repent, to turn from their sins, and to accept him as their Savior, and spend eternity with, with Christ, with God, with you, and not an eternity damned forever. Thank you for loving us, Lord. Thank you for doing so much for us when we don't deserve it. And especially today, Lord, thank you for our fathers. The good, the bad, everything. And thank you for that young man who had the courage to come up here and talk about his father. Uh, bless us, Lord. Keep us safe. Watch over us. Thank you so much for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
I'm going to ask, excuse me, I'm going to ask the uh, the ladies to stay behind. Gentlemen, if you'd make your way out to the hub, we're still going to do our advanced time this morning.